You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you today. Welcome back to Lee Elementary. As you can tell, there's been a few changes since the last time we are here. Uh, the windows on this side are uh, not all the way down like they were here. It's new frames. Got new hardware on the chairs. And there's a brand new air conditioning system, which is awesome. And but they, uh, they forgot to turn it on for us in here today. I don't know if you've noticed. We've been in talks with them all morning long to try to get that thing turned on. And maybe it will turn on sometime during the service. But... Um, I wouldn't hold your breath. So I'm really sorry about that. It won't be this hot next week. So we're still kind of getting you know, used to the new space and them used to us being back here. So thanks for flexing and going and rolling with the punches and all that stuff. But if you're new here and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. Love that you're here with us and just really excited about being back here as well as starting a new series today. Uh, but before I get into that, let me just say, like, I love being a pastor. I really do. I, I love being a pastor. I love that part of my job. Big part of my job is, that, is, is just getting to tell people about how awesome Jesus is and how he loves them. And I love that I get to be a part of my job is just to pray for you guys. Enjoy praying for y'all. I love being able to help people walk with God and grow and, and also help them love and serve others. So, I mean, I just love being a pastor, except when I'm meeting a neighbor for the first time. Because, you know, and it doesn't have to be a neighbor. When I meet someone that, you know, for the first time, and inevitably they're going to ask me at some point in time, hey, what do you do for work? And at that point, like, I, I don't love being a pastor because I, I just know, in fact, I, I know about 75% of the time when I tell them what I do, it just, it just kills the conversation. And it, you know, in fact, to the point that now, I, I answer them before I tell them what I do. I just say, okay, I'll tell you what I do, but you have to promise not to judge me and you have to promise to keep talking to me. And I'm thinking, like, they're, they're wondering, like, am I about to tell them, like, I'm a drug dealer or something like that? But then I tell them, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And, and sometimes you could tell they wish that I'd said that I was a drug dealer. It's like, man, like, and it's just things kind of just get a little bit awkward at times. And, but, you know, I'm probably not alone in that. I don't know about y'all, but if you've been in a situation where, you know, you're in, you know, with your coworkers or with your classmates or study group or something like that, and someone finds out or you tell someone that you're, you're a Christian, that for some people, like, that's just not a big deal at all. I mean, they're so cool with that, no doubt. But there are some that they hear that, and all of a sudden, you're no longer safe in their eyes. You're not a safe person to them. In fact, in some cases, you, you perhaps now stand for a lot of the things that they hate about what's going on in the world. And so, like, there's just this feeling of, like, man, like, gosh, I wish that, I wish I didn't have to tell people I'm a pastor. Sometimes we want to just keep it a secret that we're a Christian. Um, you know, some, sometime over the last, like, 20 years, give or take, there's been a shift in our culture, Right? Where the people, where, you know, we now live in a time where many people, you know, growing number of people in our nation do not view Christianity or, or, or just Christians in general in a, in a positive light. And where biblical morality is now viewed by many as being uh, immoral or intolerant or in some cases, you know, oppressive. 
where the vast majority of people under the age of 30 most strongly associate Christians with being judgmental, intolerant Republicans who don't care about women's rights and hate the LGBTQ community. And that's when they hear the name Christian, that's the first things that come to their mind. In fact, there's been many studies, much research has done that, that like says that exact thing. And what's really sad about this, I mean, there's a lot of that's sad about this, but one of the major things that's sad about this is that the you know, U.S. church, uh, Christianity in the U.S., I mean, this is not really worldwide, but in the U.S., you know, we've done a lot to earn that reputation, right? And that even though God's word just so clearly calls us to, uh, well, think about Ephesians 5.1, I think I've got it up here, to be imitators of God as his dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Like God calls us as his people because that's who we are. We're his beloved children who he's dearly loved to live a life of love like where we are just constantly loving people in his name as a result of how he has loved us. And yet, like I think we would, you know, I don't feel like I'm talking too harsh here. That's not our reputation at large, Christians in the U.S. Now, at large, we're not known for saturating our communities with the love of Jesus. We're, we're, we're not known for caring for and serving the least of these, the marginalized, the poor. We're, we're not known for being a voice and, and, and showing and serving, uh, showing love and serving uh, people uh, that are weak, the unborn, and the poor, and the uh, widow, and the orphan, and the single mom. We're not known for being the people who are at the front ends of loving and trying to build reconciliation with people of, of color, or welcoming and caring for those that are sojourning amongst us as refugees and immigrants. Like, this is not Christianity's, Christians' primary reputation within our culture, that we're mu much more known for what we're against than who we're for. Instead of being for God and for those that God so loved that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Like the world that God so loved. We're not known for being for God and for the people that God deeply loves and died for so they could be reconciled to him. Instead, we're primarily known for what we're against. And as a result of this, we live, we're living in a country that's not being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's not being filled with the knowledge of who God is and what he's done. That instead, it's moving further and further away from him as they respond to the incomplete and distorted picture that Christians are giving them about what he's like. And so, for those reasons and others... Certainly sin itself, certainly that just the world, the natural current of the world is always going to be moving away from God and, the, and the, from the things that God values. But we, as his followers, are also kind of, you know, as a large, are known not just to like help stop that gap and try to move the current in a different direction, but we're kind of aiding in that flow. And as a result, we're, you know, not too long ago in our country, 
When people found out that you were a Christian, they were excited that you were around. They liked that you were in their community. They were, you know, they were blessed by your presence. And now in our country, not for everyone, but for a growing amount of people, finding out that there's a Christian in their community is something that they don't welcome. Something that they would oppose or at least they would be uncomfortable with. Man, how's that for an opening? Y'all, you feeling encouraged? <laughs> You're like, ah, thanks, I went to church. They didn't have AC and talked about how bad we are. Um, <laughs> so what do we do in light of that? What do we do if that's the world that we're living in right now as Christians in the United States? And what do you do when you recognize that the people you're supposed, that who are supposed to be giving the world a picture of how great God is and how he loves are failing to do so? What do you do when you, when you recognize, man, th- th- there's Christians in our world right now that are not helping people know who God is? Do we throw rocks? Do we do friendly fire amongst ourselves and try to distance ourselves from other Christians and talk bad about other Christians? Is that, is that what we should do? Or do we just stay silent? I mean, what, what, what do we do on that? Or what do you do when the people People living around you have a negative view of God, a negative view of what God says and what God values, and negative view on Christians. People say they follow God. What do, you, what do you do? Do you hide from them? Do you just decide, like, hey, we're going to be like a turtle in its shell and just, like, <laughs> get, let me just hide from those people that don't seem to like us? What do you do when uh, it feels like staying faithful to God and how he says to live seems at odds with the values of our culture. Do we adopt the values of our culture and distance ourselves from God because we don't want to create a further chasm between us and the rest of the world? Or, or do we stand firm with what God says but think that, man, that's not going to help things? I mean, what, what do we do with this? If this is the world that we live in, how do we navigate that? Well, that's why we're going to study the book of Daniel. Because uh, here's the good news. We are not the first people <laughs> to ever find ourselves in this kind of situation. In fact, there are many who've come before us that have been in much more difficult situations than what we currently find it ourselves in the U.S. I mean, this is like this. We could paint a pretty stark picture, and I've kind of painted a pretty stark picture, but this is not by any means the starkest picture. We still have it really good as followers of Christ in America, but there are others they have had it much worse, and we can learn from them. And so we're turning to Daniel. We're going to do a six-week six series in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, the narrative portion of the, of the book of Daniel. We're going to stay away from the last six chapters, which is all very prophetic and a little bit above my pay grade to be able to explain well. And so we're going to stay in the narrative part. And um, what we're going to do as we study this is we're going to you know, just see a powerful picture of what it looks like to faithfully love God while also loving our culture well. In addition, the book of Daniel will also see how God makes it possible for us to do that both at the same time. So we'll get a picture of what it looks like, but then we'll also learn from God how it's possible, how he makes it possible to, to do this. And so out of a heart, guys, to, of, of care, 
uh, we decided, I think Daniel would be a really helpful study for us as a church family. And we're looking for ways to really care for one another. And we said, okay, this is kind of the world we're living in. How do we help each other know how to navigate this? And so we're turning to God's word because this is, I think this is going to really, really help us. So if you will, let's jump into it. Turn to Daniel chapter one, pull it up on your phone. Also have the words up here on the slide. But before I get to that, and while you're turning there, let me also just say one more thing. If you're here today and you are exploring faith in Christ, you're not sure what you believe yet about God, about Jesus. Now, first of all, we love that you're here. And second of all, I'm glad that you're here joining us for the beginning of this series because, you know, the truth is, is that I think, and this is, you know, this is sad, but the truth is I, I think that you're going to get a much better picture of what God's people are supposed to look like in regards to how they serve God and also serve and, and love our culture and our world that even disagrees with God or denies his existence. So you're going to get a great picture here and probably a better picture here, sadly, than you've gotten from any of the Christians in your life up to this point. And so I'm glad that you're going to see, like, this is what we're actually called to. And if you're here with a friend or a family member, feel free to just, like, judge them based on how they're doing here. And you can talk to them about that and say, man, you got a lot of room to grow if this is what you're supposed to be doing. But anyways, you get just a better picture of what we're called to do. So I'm glad that you're here, and I'll invite you to listen in to all this. But let's just jump in. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. How's that for an opening line? You thought my opening was stark? Like, this is stark. Like, you know, besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jeho Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is another name for Babylon, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, uh, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Bel uh, Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, and Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Okay, let me stop there and just see, like, did you catch all that? All right, like, the book of Daniel begins with a crisis, right? And somewhere around 605 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they, they invade Judah uh, and Israel, and, and they conquer Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, and they, uh, but instead of just destroying those countries, they work to destroy that, <laughs> that country's uh, identity and culture. And so they make them a slave state. And one part of that is that they uh, take many of the, you know, the most influential people of Israel, the, no, the nobles and the family, and then the, these, these, you know, these youths, and they bring them, exile them into Babylon. And so Daniel and his three friends that we read about in this passage, they're a part of that. They've been exiled to Babylon. Most people think they were probably about 15 or so years old at this time. 
So that's what they mean by youths. Like they were, they were young guys. And they are uh, moved over to Babylon. And once they're moved there, they, they get their names changed. They're given, you know, they're, they have the Hebrew names named after Yahweh, the God of Israel. But now they've been, been given names. They're named after the gods of Babylon. They're given a new language. This taught how to speak a new language. Uh, they're given this new, you know, brought into the king's court, get to eat their, his food. And basically, they get enrolled into Babylon University. And so for three years, they're taught, educated about the things and customs, the literature, the learnings of Babylon. Now, can you, like, can you imagine what that would have been like? And before we move on, just like try to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Like everything that you know, everything that you've grown up with is gone. And most likely, your family members are dead. Lots of your loved ones are dead. You're separated from them. You're in an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar culture. You're a slave, a captor to the Babylonians. Like, man, how are you feeling right now? And what questions are going through his head. I mean, how would you respond in light of that? Here's how Daniel responds, and it's pretty intriguing. First thing we see Daniel do is in verse 8. Here's what he says, or here's what it says. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Okay, this means that Daniel decides not to disobey God or to be unfaithful to God by eating the food or drinking his wine. And so instead of going along with the, with like the demands of his captors, who, you know, by the way, had the power to kill him and who had just ransacked his whole homeland, he decides, no, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. You know, I'm good with enrolling in Babylon University, and you can change my name. I'll still answer that name and my own name and all that stuff. But, like, you know, I'm drawing the line at food. I'm not going to eat the king's food. I'm not going to drink his wine. And it's like, really? <laughs> That's how you respond? Like, if I was in his shoes, I don't think I would be responding that way. Like, if I'm thinking, like, Daniel, like, you just got exiled from your home. You just, like... You're in a bad spot, and you're going to choose to be faithful to God, to not disobey God? Like, where's God, Daniel? Like, you mean the God of Jerusalem that's just been completely besieged, and now you're in exile? Like, you're going to choose to be faithful to him instead of to this king? Really? Like, that's wild, right? Can you feel that? In addition... As bad as it was for Daniel, it was also, he kind of like got, got it good in a sense. Like, I mean, it's bad, right? I don't want to like, you know, besieged, people died, he's exiled. But in worst case scenarios, he's got a good case because he's not just made to do like slave work and demeanor. Like he's actually in the king's palace. He's going to get to eat the king's food. He's going to get to drink the king's wine. He's going to get this great education, probably one of the best educations and then in the known world at that time. Like he's going to like, it could have been worse for him. If he just played it cool, he decides not to rock the boat. I mean, he's, he's not going to be roughing it. He's going to get to stay in the king's court, eat the king's food. Like Daniel, God seems to have abandoned you. You have a best-case scenario and a worst-case. <laughs> Why rock the boat? 
But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? And so you would endanger my head with the king. Like, hey, if I let you do this, the king will take off my head. So why, why would I do that? Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. I love that those two things are linked. (laughs) Don't laugh too hard. That's not hard. Appearance of fatter and flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the, steward, so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Okay, there's a lot in this part of the, of the story I'd love to flesh out. But let me, just, let me just stay with the major question. Why would Daniel respond in this way? Like, why would he choose in this situation to be faithful to God? Well, I think there's two reasons that are fleshed out here, and I want to point them out to you guys, and I think because they're, I think they're really helpful for us as well. See, if we're going to live in the, our country as faithful witnesses, faithful servants of God, I think these things have got to be true for us. If we're going to live faithfully to God and love people well where we are right now, the things that were true for Daniel have to be true for us. The reasons that he responded in this way and made him faithful have got to be true for us too. And the first one is this. Daniel knew who he was. Daniel knew whose he was. He knew whose he was. Daniel knew that he belonged to and was dependent on the creator God. And guys, that's the reason he resolved not to defile himself with the king's food and wine. For eating, see if you can follow this reasoning, but like for eating the king's food and drinking his wine would have signaled in a number of potential ways that he was going to be loyal and dependent to the king instead of being faithful to and dependent on God. For by eating the king's food, Daniel may have been breaking Jewish dietary laws, not eating kosher food, or he probably would have been eating food uh, sacrificed to idols, which was the common practice the Babylonians of the day, especially the food that king ate, they would offer it to the idols, and then whatever the idols didn't eat, which was all of it, they would give to the king and then the king's court, and they would, they would eat it. That was more practice. Or it could have not had anything to do with either of those and just simply been that by eating the king's food and sharing the king's food and drink, it would have simply communicated a covenantal loyalty to the king just by the fact that he was eating the food provided by and shared with the king. And in any of those ways, he would have been signaling that his loyalty was to the king and his dependence was on the king for his nourishment, sustenance, instead of having his dependence on God and that his faithfulness was that, his, that he was going to be faithful to God. And so instead, Daniel asked for permission to just eat vegetables and drink water. 
Ian uh, DeGeed, in, uh, in his commentary on Daniel, puts it this way. I thought this was helpful. He said, The key to understanding why the four men abstained from the royal food and wine is noticing that instead they chose to, to eat only those things that were grown naturally, the vegetables, and to drink only naturally occurring water. This suggests that the goal of the simple lifestyle was to be consistently reminded of their dependence upon their creator God for their food, not Nebuchadnezzar. You see, the, the, the first reason why Daniel responded this way is because he knew whose he was. And he wanted to build in a way to be regularly reminded of whose he was. And so he said, okay, I'm not going to be dependent on the king's food. I'm not going to be disloyal by eating food that I shouldn't eat. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to eat the food that God provides. That's going to be my regular reminder that that's who I'm dependent on. That's going to be my way of regularly communicating. That's who my, where my allegiance really lies. As in, a, in a similar way, we live in a culture that encourages us to be dependent on things other than God and invites us, invites us to be disloyal to our God. But unlike in Daniel's situation, those invitations that we have in our culture, they're, they're more subtle. Because, like, it, it's our culture. In our culture, it's hard to, like, take a step back and really, you know, get a good perspective on culture. Because it's, it's the air we breathe. It's the, it's the water we swim in. It's just kind of what we're used to. Daniel had this catalytic moment where he had to choose. Like, this is very different on what kind of place I'm going to buy into. We've just kind of grown up in this. And yet, the truth is, is that our culture really does invite us to put our dependence on things other than God and, and invites us to be disloyal to God. For Daniel, it was his diet. For us, you know, I'm just thinking about, I mean, there's a number of different things, but I think one that would hit all of us and is probably one of the most predominant ways is it comes to the area of money. Right? Yeah. No AC, and he's talking about money. This just gets get better and better and better. But... um. <laughs> But man, like, isn't this true about our culture? I mean, this is something I think we can all see in our culture. We live in a very consumeristic culture where we're expected to always buy the next phone and as quickly as we can buy our first house and then upgrade that to a next house and, and on and on and on. And just to keep up, that we're bombarded with advertisements and constantly marketed to. And in subtle and overt ways, we're taught that security is gained through our money and approval is as well. We're tempted to shade the truth at work to make a sale. Or we're tempted to work really, really long hours away from our family just to get more of it. Just so we can keep up with the lifestyle that our culture holds up as our expected norm, right? And none of that helps us live generous lives, using our money to care for the poor and the needy amongst us and in our world. None of, us, none of that helps us a give towards God's kingdom to advance the gospel in our world. None of that helps us stay loyal to what God's called us to do. And I'm just convicted that one of the primary ways we need to resolve not to defile ourselves is in regards to our money. For when we choose to go without some of the world's comforts like Daniel did, I mean, this is wild. Like the guy decided I'm not going to eat the king's really good, really good food. I'm just going to eat vegetables. Like I don't know any 15-year-old boy who's ever said that ever 
ever, ever, except now apparently Daniel and his three friends. But like he says, I'm going to go without the, I'm going to go without the world's comforts as a way to remind me that I'm dependent on God and that I'm loyal to God. And as when we choose to go without some of the comforts of the world that we have the money to buy, we have the ability to buy, but we said, no, no, I'm going to give this money away. I'm going to be generous, and I'm just going to be reminded that I don't have, every time I realize, like, I don't have that thing that my friend has, it's like, well, it's because I'm, you know, I'm not looking at that to be the thing that cares for me, where my dependence is found, where my approval is found. I'm, my dependence is on God. He's my provider. I'm going to be loyal to him. I'm afraid I talk about it too much, but I think my personal best example of this is when Chris and I decided to adopt Enoch. See, I've told you all this before, but like it required us to completely empty out our bank account. Like we had $87 to our name when we brought Enoch home from Uganda. We had no savings, no stocks, no bonds, no retirement, no whatever K things. Like we didn't have anything. We had $87. And, um, when people would talk to us about that, especially my, you know, my non-Christian friends, but honestly, a number of my Christian friends as well, we would tell them that we've spent everything, but we're, you know, it's all right. Like, God's providing for us. We're bringing ourselves home. People would just look at us like we're crazy. Like, really? I mean, like, that's not, that's not wise. Like, what are you doing? Like, but man, I'm so glad we did that. Because one, if you met Enoch, you know he's awesome, right? <laughs> but two, the other reason why I'm really glad that we did that is because God taught us in a brand new and a deeper way that, man, our dependence is on him and not our money. And we can trust him. And we can be, we can be obedient. We can be faithful to him, what he tells us to do with our money. And he's got us. He's our refuge, He's our stronghold. He's our rock. He can provide what we need. Man, that has served us so well from that point on, seven years ago. I mean, it's just really, really powerful for us. Guys, I wonder if there's some area, perhaps in the area of money, perhaps another area where you need to resolve not to defile yourself where you need to re- resolve to think, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a stand here to help me be faithful to God and be reminded of my dependence on Him in light of whose I am. Not in order to get Him to love me and approve me and all that, but because, of, because I already know who I belong to. That is Ephesians 5, 1 says, we're the beloved children of God. Like, that's who we are. And as a result, I can say, okay, no, I need, I need things in my life to help me stand against the flow of culture that causes me to depend on other things other than God, to be loyal to other things other than God. I'm going to say, no, no, I remember whose I am. And so I've got to resolve in some areas. And again, I think money is a good one. To say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to place my dependence on him because I'm his. And I'm going to stay loyal to him because I'm his. That's the first reason why Daniel responded this way. But there's, there's a second reason why he chose to be faithful that's, that's part of this passage. And the second reason not only helps explain why he did what he did, but also why he did it the way that he did it. All right? And here it is. You see, Daniel not only knew whose he was, but he also knew why he was where he was. It's a tongue twister. He knew why he was where he was. 
Now, the reason that Daniel knew why he was in Babylon is because there, has been, there had been a prophet in Israel named Jeremiah for about 20 years prior to the Babylonian captivity, shouting out, proclaiming to anyone who would listen that God was going to judge Israel for failing to represent him, for failing to be faithful to him, for failing to help other nations know what he is like. That God was going to judge him. In fact, in Jeremiah 25, I don't have time to go there, but you can look it up later. But in Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah has said, hey, God is going to judge Israel by sending Babylon. And they're going to take you back there and you're going to be captives there for 70 years, which is exactly how long they were captive in Babylon, 70 years. And that's awesome and worth a lot more (laughs) attention, but I can't go in there right now. But that's, again, stuff to study. It's really interesting. But because of that, Daniel, when this happened, he would have like known, like, yeah, this is what Jeremiah, this is what Jeremiah has been saying. And here's why we're going to be taken. It's because we haven't been faithful to him. But Jeremiah not only had announced that there's going to be this judgment from God from Babylon, that God was going to send Nebuchadnezzar to besiege Jerusalem and take them into exile, he had also told them something else pretty amazing. In Jeremiah 29, let me just read it for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, that's a wild statement about the providence of God. And like he's saying, like, I'm the one who's carried you into exile. In fact, in Daniel verse, one, uh, verse 2, I didn't point it out, but God, God says, the verse says, and God gave Jehoiakim, king of Israel, to Nebuchadnezzar. Like, this is all, like, God said, this is, I'm in control of this. Like, this looks really bad, and Daniel could have said, like, man, it feels like God's just completely abandoned me, but God would say, no, no, I'm in control of this. That I'm being faithful to my promises, and his promise all the way back to the days of Moses was that if, God, if God's people were to obey him, he would bless them, but if they turned from him, that he would, he would judge them to a point that he would send them to exile, and God is pro- faithful to his promise there. And this is what God has done in control, orchestrating these things. But this passage not only says that, but it also tells us that God had, that God had them there on purpose for a purpose. That God wasn't just judging Israel. That God was removing Israel from their homeland in order to be amongst Babylon, one of the most influential, if not the most influential nations in the world at that time, so that his people could be exiled in a strange place around strange people to be able to represent him. So he tells them, hey, don't hide from this culture. Don't, 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 Don't huddle up. Don't just bide your time. No, no, plant gardens, build homes, get married, give your kids off to marriage. Make yourself home here, and as you do, seek the peace and prosperity of this city where I have taken you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For when it prospers, you prosper. Because I guarantee you, Daniel 
saw everything that was happening to him through the lens of Jeremiah 29. So he knew why he was where he was. And he knew that God had him where he was on, on purpose, for a purpose. And that purpose was to seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And so he said, okay, I'm going to be faithful to God here because this is God. Not, I'm here not because God's been unfaithful to me. He's been faithful to his promise. And now I'm going to choose to be faithful to him because he's got a great work he wants to do through me here in exile. And so that influences the way he did what he did. If you go back to it, you remember, he didn't strike, do a hunger strike, right? He wasn't rude. He wasn't demanding. He didn't hide the fact that he wasn't going to eat the king's food or drink his wine. No, he was upfront about it, and he was gracious. He was kind. He said he asked for permission. He didn't demand it. And when, the, when he found out that, you know, the eunuch that he was at, the chief eunuch, it could cost him the guy his head. Daniel didn't say, like, I care, man. Like, you just, you just like, ransacked my hometown. Like, I don't care about you. And he's like, no, okay, I get that. Like, let me think wisely, prudently about how we can still work this thing out. Like, let me, let me just offer up a 10-day test and let's see, what, see how things go. And because God was active, and because what God is faithful to what he says he's going to do, which one of the things is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Daniel said, okay, I'm going to give room for God to show up and make himself known here. So I'm going to choose to be faithful in light of I know why I'm here. God wants to be known. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to ask for permission, and I'm going to give room for God to show up. And do something that only God can do, which is exactly what happened. Because these guys just ate vegetables and water for 10 days, and somehow they got fatter. And that's a miracle. I mean, in the book of Daniel, we're in a lion in the lion. We're going to see about the lion's den. We're going to see about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But I'll tell you, this is right up there. 15-year-olds, high metabolism, just eat vegetables, and they get fatter. It's, it's, it's what's been happening to me, too, and I don't understand it. <laughs> Guys, here's the point. By being faithful and by being loving in his approach, Daniel gave God an opportunity to work through him. And God did. And if Daniel had decided not to be unfaithful, if Daniel had decided to be unfaithful, or Daniel decided to be a jerk, then this would not have happened. God would not have been able to make himself known in this situation through this person. But Daniel gave God the opportunity to do that. So I, I just wonder, is, do you have an opportunity to do that? What would that look like in your life? My guess is that all of us have opportunities like that, where we can say, okay, I'm going to be faithful to God and what he says and how he says to live, and yet I'm going to be intentional about loving people well. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to just be faithful in a silo. I'm going to do it engage with people, loving them well, and then in that, giving God an opportunity to just show up and do what only God can do. Some of that could, again, go back to the area of money and say, man, I don't know how it would ever work out for me to actually honor God with my money and be generous and give some away. But you know what? I'm going to be faithful to God in this area. I'm going to love people well with my money, and I'm just going to see how God will show up. 
Because, again, with our adoption, that's exactly what happened. We had $12,000 to pay for a $28,000 adoption. That doesn't make sense. But we said yes, and we went all in, and somehow we ended that adoption without any debt. Yes, we only had $87 to our name, but God showed up in an incredible way through our friends and family members who helped make it possible for us to bring our son home. Like, we would have never seen that, and people would never have been able to know Enoch or be a, get a picture of what our adoptive father is like if that hadn't happened. You, you have areas. If you, I guarantee if you think about it on the way home today, where are some opportunities that I have where I need to be loyal to God and love people well as God has loved them and then trust, give God an opportunity for him to show up and do what only God can do? As when you live that way, powerful things happen. Powerful things happen. And listen to this. If we're going to engage our culture and give them a view of God, we've got to live that way. And listen, you don't do it by then saying, look, look what I'm doing. And like, we're, I'm, the, I'm the Christians who really figured it out. And those other Christians are not doing that. Like, let me tell you all the reasons why they're bad. You don't see Daniel doing that at all. And though Daniel had it much worse, his whole nation had walked away from God to the point that God had to judge them and bring them into exile. And the people that he was in exile with, other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of those guys seemed to go do their own thing. But he wasn't like, oh, we're better than them and all that stuff. He just said, no, no, I can trust it. If I choose to be faithful and I choose to love well the God can work and God worked in the passage here's what happened as for the four youths God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had, had understanding in all vision and dreams and at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them was found, none was found like Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Because God used Daniel and his friends. Their, he used their faithfulness and their commitment to love well, knowing whose they were, knowing why they were, where they were. And he used it to give them incredible influence, an entire nation. To where, as you'll see throughout this, chat, throughout this series, multiple kings, as a result, end up declaring that the God of Israel is the one true God. And then God makes himself known in Babylon through the faithfulness of these four who choose to be faithful to God and choose to love people well. Guys, God can do the same thing through us. It's the same God. Same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He can work in this way. You choose to be faithful to him in his ways. You choose to keep loving people well. And you give him room to do what only he can do. And he can do a lot. Now, here's the thing. I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but, like, I don't have a perfect track record of being faithful to God all the time. And I don't have a perfect track record of loving people well all the time. And if all we get from the book of Daniel 
It's this really in, like great instruction and inspiration, like go and do that. Like it just, it's not going to last very long. So as we end this, I just want to remind you guys that of the good news, that it's not just on us to do this, but that God has done this for us, and now he wants to do this through us. You see, Daniel points us to, he's like a preview of Jesus, that Jesus is a better Daniel. Because see, Jesus, like Daniel, was exiled, but Jesus decided to be. He chose to be. He left heaven to come to earth, to Babylon. And he, though he didn't naturally fit in, he decided to fully engage. He took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. And that Daniel, who was put in the king's service, Jesus said, faithful to the king of kings' service. And he decided to say, all right, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to stay completely true. I'm going to be completely faithful to God without sin. And then he went to the cross. And he died in our place for us. And on the cross, he didn't curse us, but he prayed for our blessing. And then he died and rose again to make the way for us to be brought into his family, be made citizens of heaven, and promise a future with him forevermore. And guys, because Jesus has done that for you, if you receive that in faith, then one of the things he tells you is that now he wants to do that through you. And you're not on your own to just have to figure out, just to muster up the power to be faithful to God and love people well. Now, he says, never will I leave you or forsake you. I'm with you in this. Let me do this with you. I'll give you the power to be faithful. I'll give you the power to love well at the same time so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters come to see So be dependent on him. Be loyal to him. And together, let's see what happens. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. We've got the tables in the front. We've got two tables in the back as well. We have all the next three songs to respond in worship. And so you can come up any time during that. And as you take communion, this is what I, want to, what I ended with, is what I would love for you to reflect on. Jesus died for you. He lived the life we're called to live, a perfectly faithful life and perfectly loving life. His death is representation. His death is what we remember in that. His body broken, his blood spilled. When we take communion, remember that that's how he's loved you and then invite him. Tell him, I want to do that with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we need you. We're dependent on you. And yet we confess that oftentimes we buy into the lies of our culture, our world that says, that, no, we don't need to be dependent on you. Other things can satisfy and other things can give us what we're looking for. God just causes us to be disloyal to you, to not value what you value, not to obey what you say. And so, God, we're sorry for that. God, we're so thankful that your love for us is not dependent on our faithfulness to you. But, Lord, your love for us was, was demonstrated while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. 
that he lived a perfectly faithful life and loved us with the love we've always longed for and looked for. And God, I pray that as we take communion now, we'd remember that. And Lord, that you would move in our hearts to compel us to want to join you in helping others know that as well. So God, would, what you've done for us, will you now choose to do through us? We love you, God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.